horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, thanks for joining us for another action-filled program. We have got a slew of information for you about what's coming up next weekend. As you know, it will be the the, uh, Oaks and the Derby will be coming up, so it's going to be a very, very uh, exciting weekend. And uh, brought in two people, one that's very topical right now, Uh, At least the subject that we're going to broach is going to be topical, and that's going to be the uh, tracks that are choosing to not use Lasix. Uh, As you know, Lasix is a diuretic. It's something that that humans take, and uh, it uh, long-distance runners... Uh, you know, anytime you stress yourself for long periods of time or in intense situations, small capillaries uh, in your lungs can uh, uh, be affected and you bleed. And so they have a medicine that helps horses not bleed called Lasix. And uh, I think, in my opinion, and I'll probably get called out for this, I, I just kind of think it's a kind of a knee-jerk reaction by the industry about all the breakdowns out in California because I don't see any way that a medication that just stops you, your nose from bleeding is causing you to, in some way, shape, or form, break down. What, are you crazy? Just my opinion, but, uh, you know, Eric Hamelbeck, he is the, uh, the top gun in the HBPA, and uh, he's going to kind of give us his industry's take on it. Don't forget, uh, you know, he, he represents uh, 30,000 uh, trainers, uh, also their owners, and uh, how this could impact them, what their opinion is. And uh, I won't go on any further. I'm going to let Eric Hamelback, the CEO of the National Horsemen's Benevolent Protection Association, take that up. And our second guest, this is his annual visit with us. He's great to do it. His name is Dick Downey. Now, Dick has quite an interesting background. He takes a whole lot of pride in in being a Kentuckian, and uh, he's been a very uh, successful one uh, at that. Uh, He's uh, an attorney, a retired circuit judge. Uh, Back in 2003, he founded the Downey Profile, which is just a seasonal website. He doesn't do this year-round. He really focuses on mostly the Kentucky Derby and the whole Triple Crown Trail. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's an attorney, really sharp guy. Um, you know, uh, Governor Bashir asked him to come back and uh, take over for the term of a deceased judge. So the guy's a really classy, smart guy, but this is his passion, is doing the Downey profile. So Dick Downey's going to be with us. No better guy to talk about uh, the Derby and Oaks uh, but Dick. So those are going to be our two guests. All right, well, good news. Uh, getting in to Racing Hall of Fame, uh, Kentucky Derby and Belmont Stakes winning jockey Craig Perrette and three-time Eclipse Award winner Royal Delta 
will be going to the National Museum Racing Hall of Fame, selected through the these are the contemporary uh, horses in the voting process. They're going to join a class of 14 other Hall of Famers that will be inducted. Uh, that's going to be at Saratoga on August 2nd. Uh, some horses from the past will be and I remember them well because I guess I'm from the past, my Juliet and Wea. And then there are the people that we call the pillars of the turf that had influence on uh, horse racing throughout their life. Uh, James E. Ted Bassett, uh, Christopher Shenry, uh, Dick Dushiswa, William S. Farish, John Hettinger, James Keene, uh, Frank Jimmy Kilroe, Gladys Mill Phipps, Odgen Phipps, Helen Hey, Whitney, Mary Lou Whitney, and Warren Wright Sr. Obviously, you can find a lot about these people on the internet, but I'm just so glad that Craig Parade finally made it. And I didn't think it would take long uh, for Royal Delta. Now, Parade right now is hard to believe. He's 68 years old. Now, you got to go back. He was North America's leading apprentice jockey by earnings in 1967. This is even before they had Eclipse Awards. He won the 1990 Eclipse Award for Outstanding Jockey. He's from way down yonder in New Orleans. Won 4,415 races in a career that went from 67 to 2005. You set Belmont Stakes. Yep, that was with Bet twice, and he broke up Ali Sheba's uh, win in the Triple Crown. And then uh, the Kentucky Derby, you recall, he was aboard the, the Great Horse and eventually Sire unbridled. He has four Breeders' Cup uh, wins, including two editions of the Sprint, as well as two runnings of the Travers Stakes and the Queen's Plate up in Canada. And speaking of the Queen's Plate, I want to thank our friends at Woodbine, who have been solid sponsors of Winning Ponies throughout the entire year. So congratulations to everybody connected. Okay, a lot of times we don't get around a Jockey of the Week with more stakes wins than any other North American jockey last week. Jorge Vargas Jr. was chosen as the Jockey's Guild Foundation Jockey of the Week. Now, a number of jockeys captured one or two stakes victories last weekend, but only Jorge Vargas Jr. pulled in three stakes wins. His wins came on Saturday at Laurel Park, including two of the four Mid-Atlantic Thoroughbred Championship Series divisional races. His first uh, win was the $100,000 King Leatherberry Stakes. Uh, Vargas uh, came back uh, as the third leading rider last week by stakes earnings with $208,000 in just six starts. Not a bad payday at all. So uh, I got to see him in the Keeneland paddock the other day. I'd never really uh, met the man before. Uh, looks like he's kind of young, so he's got a long career of ahead of him. His career earnings already total over $20 million. Well, uh, Palace Malice is... Uh, seeing his first crop go to post, and the first horse to go to post was a filly, uh, and uh, she won first time out. So uh, the, uh, the runner, no surprise, trained by Wesley Ward, not afraid to run the fillies against the boys. I love the name of this horse. Let's stay 
positive is the name. Uh, and so if you want to go back to Palace Malice, remember now, he was trained by Todd Pletcher for Cot Campbell's Dogwood Stable, uh, won over $2.6 million. And remember, he got better as he got older. His four-year-old year, he put together a four-race win streak that uh, – culminated with the victory over Golden Sense in the Metropolitan Handicap at Belmont Park. Uh, so uh, he stands at Three Chimneys Farm for what I will say in breeding is only $15,000. That's not bad. Well, let's take a quick look at the races that uh, we uh, handicapped uh, last week. Out at Santa Anita, the Kona Gold, Grade 2, it was Cistron going wire to wire, kind of gave him the slip on the turn. Guess who's in the saddle? Victor Espinosa. Yeah, he was down, but he is not out, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see if he uh, garners a uh, derby or Oaks Mount. I know there's still a few left wide open, but Cistron for trainer John Sadler gets the job done, a five-year-old son of the factor. What's interesting is this race, six and a half, main track, this horse has made 19 starts on the turf. When I'm looking at his PPs in the form, out of his last dozen starts, all of them were on the turf. So Sadler not afraid to switch back to the main track and gets the job done in the grade two Kona Gold. Uh, finishing in the second spot was All Out Blitz. And third was the favorite, Dr. Door. They got kind of way back and had to make up ground. He's a horse for course, loves Santa Anita, nine starts, five wins in two seconds, but that was the Kona Gold last week. And then the uh, Dixiana Elkhorn, grade two, where's that run? Well, down at Keeneland. And the bigger picture was the name of the winner at seven to one, just a perfectly timed rally by Tyler Gaffleone for Mike Maker. Again, he has such great job training horses long on the grass and just gets up over Red Knight, who was also 7-1. to one. And uh, in the third spot was the favorite, Zulu Alpha. Also, uh, the Frederico Tessio. This is kind of a win in your end because uh, in Maryland, you win this race and you get in the Preakness Stakes. Always mining. Yeah, great pick, John. The horse went off at one to nine. <laughs> he was three wide into the turn. And, and then Daniel Centeno, the jockey, just spent the rest of the stretch looking over his shoulder for competition. So uh, the horse has now recorded uh, seven wins and 12 lifetime starts. And uh, always mining for Kelly Rubley will be seen in the gate at the Preakness Stakes. Uh, second in the race was Try for Gold, a 45-1 to 1 shot. They both ran down Bazzini on the inside, who finished third. Okay, uh, let's take a quick look. I only got about two minutes to give you some derbies and Oaks updates. And uh, Win 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 has arrived uh, at, uh, at Churchill Downs. And so, so he's there. A few horses aren't. So, uh, you know, there's still a few more that, that have to ship in. Uh, improbable. Now, I was at uh, Louisville last night. The surface was sealed. We had some bad rains. and uh, But they sealed it after the overnight showers. And so, in, improbable. Uh, 
just kind of galloped about a mile and a half. He's from the Baffert barn. Jimmy Barnes, as always, is there ahead of Bob Baffert, taking care of the horses. Uh, they said he, he'll probably work. Sunday's going to be a busy day. A lot of horses are going to be working Sunday. Uh, so you may want to go to the Downey profile and see how they all did. But uh, Game Winner and Roadstar will be coming in from Southern California on Saturday. Now, I read Ortiz has secured the amount on Improbable, and Jimmy Barnes says he went just perfect the way he wanted. And a gentleman we had on the show just a couple of weeks ago, John Court, has been secured again for the ride on Long Range Toddy for trainer Steve Asmussen. I look forward to seeing uh, John on the backstretch at Churchill Downs uh, later on this week. So let me just give you the uh, 100 points leaders in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, uh, Tactasis, you know, I stumble on this word every time. Tacitus from the Billmott Barn, then Omaha Beach, the most likely the favorite, Vacoma, Plucu Parfait, Roadster, By My Standards, and Maximum Security are all in the 100 points rage that got them into the gate. All right, uh, shaping up for the Oaks. Uh, the likely starters are Bellafina, Flavian Pratt will come in to ride. Uh, Champagne, anyone? Chris Landeros. Chocolate Kisses, Julian Le Paru. Flor de la Mar, Joe Rosario. Jaywalk, who had a really good work at Keeneland this morning. Javier Castellano will be in, in the saddle. Uh, Jeltron, Luis Saez, uh, Lady Apple, Ricardo Santana Jr., Leora Channing Hill, Motion to Motion, Mike Smith, out for a spin, who had a work today, Irad Ortiz, Positive Spirit, Manny Franco, Restless Rider, Brian Hernandez Jr., and Sarah Gentry Empress, uh, Tyler Gaffleone. Again, we talked about her. She uh, you know, ran a very bad race at the fairgrounds, bled, and has been treated since then. And it comes back, and she just had a really solid work the other day. They checked her from top to bottom. They said she's doing great. So that's a look at the main contenders and kind of what they're doing. And again, uh, we'll be talking with Dick Downey later in the show about uh, the, how he tracks these horses on a daily basis and how you can get that information uh until then uh we're going to take a quick break and when we come back uh, we're going to be with eric hamill back from the hbpa always looking forward to talking with him i'm john Engelhart. you're listening to winning ponies Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. 
pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And joining us now on the number one internet talk station is Eric Hamelbeck, the CEO of the National Horsemen's Benevolent and Protective Association. Uh, certainly didn't get a political appointment to this job. He worked his way up there, and he says his hands <laughs> at a lot of aspects of racing, including the former general manager of uh, uh, Frank Stronox at Dina Springs Farm. Uh, he now resides in Paris, Kentucky, and uh, <laughs> But he's originally a guy from Louisiana. I haven't met a guy from Louisiana I didn't like, and I like Eric Hamelback. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Eric. John, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, go Tigers, as always. I have to start off with. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys are serious. I, I don't know. I don't know one person that uh, went to LSU that is just not <laughs> totally in love with that school. Well. Yeah. I, I know it. I, that's why I always enjoy being with Tom Amos. I'm 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 gonna be rooting hard for his Philly on Friday. So us Tigers have to stick together. Okay. Now, didn't Al Stahl go there too? He did. Yes, sir. Junior. I yep, think, absolutely right. I think they were roommates. Oh, I believe that's correct. Yeah, and uh, Kevin Dunleavy, um, Tom's vet, went to LSU, and uh, we're 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 everywhere. We're everywhere, John. I tell you. Well, I always love the color, the color purple. I can tell you there, That's Eric. It. Well, you know, one thing I didn't say, you know, in your introduction is that when you graduated from LSU, you graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Animal Systems. So I think you know a little bit about of which we speak. So let me just kind of lay this out for our audience. Um, yes, there was there, there was a, a a uh, broad statement that was put out by um, uh, Churchill Downs saying a coalition of leading thoroughbred racing associations and organizations announced that a new initiative committed to phasing out 
the use of medication. Now, I, I don't know who died and made them God, but uh, <laughs> right. yeah, the question is, this all happened so fast, and I, and I really think a lot of this came off the diving board of overreaction or reaction or excuses for the breakdowns at Santa Anita. When all of a sudden it was announced mm-hmm. that horses, you know, well, there was a lot of different things announced, but, uh, you know, like taking whips away from jockeys. But the main thing is, is prohibiting the use of Lasix. Both of the both of those things, which have nothing to do in enhancing performance. Well, a whip will maybe encourage you a little bit, but it also you send mm-hmm. a jockey out there without a whip and it's like sending uh, you in a car without a steering wheel. You know, these guys need their whips. And all I know is my son, you know, uh, my oldest son played uh, high-end sports for a while. If if his exertion caused him to have a bloody nose every time he played and somebody said, John, by the way, here, you can give him a spoonful of this. Doesn't, you know, do anything to his, uh, you know, performance ability, but it will stop that nose from bleeding. Hell, I'd go out and get a gallon of it. And so yes, what sir. we're talking about is uh, furosemide, if I said that correctly, but most people mm-hmm. in the industry know it as Lasix. And, um, right. uh, you know, this, this coalition of horse, uh, of tracks, it, it, it just seemed like this also happened in, in this storm uh, so quickly. And I'm just so glad that, uh, oh, it was about at least over a week ago that, that you replied uh to this, and I'm not going to read, you know, everything you said. I'm going to let you say it. But I mean, I can't imagine the impact this is going to have. I and I'm going to let you go in a minute. But I just want to tell you one thing, Eric. I I talked yes, to sir. a friend of mine that that's in the racing office of a racetrack today, and I said, uh, "Hey, you're going to start to have really full fields." He says, "What do you mean?" <laughs> I said, "I said because you guys aren't part of this coalition." I said, "All these horses right. that race on Lasix are going to be coming to your place, buddy." And he goes, "You know, I never thought of that." So, Eric, again, let me step back now and let you speak. What is your sure. reaction to what I believe is an overreaction? Well, thank you, John. Let, let me first just start off by saying that. As the CEO for the National HBPA, my, myself, along with all our members, and I truly speak for each of the legal horsemen's representative groups on the thoroughbred side, we're, we're very concerned about the current industry and the concerns that some of what we consider the non-racing public are bringing to light. Uh, I firmly believe um, that 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 we in, that we continually strive for the highest standards of horsemanship, and the HBPA along with the THA, along with the TOC and the CTT, we're continuously seeking ways to improve the care, health, and safety of thoroughbred racehorses. But what has been done, um, and I think many people have, have, have latched on to the phrase of a knee-jerk reaction that was started by the Stronic Group in what they deemed a, an important factor in safety has snowballed into what I consider a very dangerous aspect of the game. By looking at replacing, uh, or I should say eliminating the utilization of race day medication, Lasix, which let me paraphrase one thing and stop Constantly, we continue to hear the non-racing public initiate 
ban drugs with an S on race day. And to be clear, and anytime you can help reiterate, there's only one legal medication that our industry uses on race day, and that is furosemide. And why is that? Because the veterinary research and science tells us that is what is best for the thoroughbred racehorse, the standard bred racehorse, and the quarter horse racehorse in an exerted amount of, of energy for EIPH. So exercise-induced pulmonary hemorrhage is a real problem. It's a disease. It's characterized by the ACVIM, which is the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine. It's, it's a disease that horses get when they exert high speed. Now, when you have these bursting of capillaries in the lungs, you're going to get some pulmonary hemorrhage. This medication, tried true for over 30, um, well, probably 40 years now, has, has been proven time and time again to either eliminate EIPH episodes or drastically reduce the severity of an EIPH episode. And why on God's green earth would anybody want to take away what we consider an equine health and welfare program makes no sense to most of us in the business. I understand, and, I, and I'm continually bombarded with the fact that the international markets don't use race day Lasix. But another erroneous thing that they continue to say in the press is that they don't use Lasix. That is a complete fallacy. As a matter of fact, uh, having Adadina managed horses overseas, in Ireland in particular, I can tell you that they use quite a bit of Lasix. They train on it, and they have a screening limit for Lasix. So there's Lasix in the system. Um, the Article 6 of the International uh, Racing Authority, where everybody points to that we should all be on the same page, they have screening limits for Lasix. They have screening limits for Butte, Banamine, and Asium. So I think it's, it's really incorrect for a lot of the publicity to uh, at least media presence to continually compare us to an international market that's drug free. Um, when you look at what we in the United States go through for the scrutiny of testing, I, I believe it is an, an, an extreme amount of, in a positive way, um, testing that is I don't necessarily want to say second to none, John, but, but at the end of the day, it is extremely sensitive. And ultimately, when you look at the ARCI, who in 2017 tested over 354,000 biological samples, and we were 99.5% violation-free, you know, that's not a, a drug-rampant industry. So to get back to the equine health and welfare issue, when you have a coalition like this and they're looking to um, somewhat arbitrarily just ban this because they think, um, or in my position, they're being somewhat pressured into it from an from a outside-the-industry peer pressure, I think it's the wrong thing to do for the horse. Um, I continually try to educate representatives in D.C. that it's a choice 
So anyone who continually clamors that it is a bad thing for their horse, then I would certainly expect them to not run their horses on it. You know, I continually hear that it's a performance-enhancing medication. <laughs> um, I, I actually, and will, will definitively defend the fact that it's a performance-enabling. There is, there is no scientific proof that it enhances the performance of a class, and I would give an example. If you have a $25,000 claimer and he is administered Lasix on race day, he's going to run to the best of his ability. It's not going to make him a stakes horse. Right. But if you allow that $25,000 claimer to not have Lasix on race day, he is not going to perform as well because, as the, the, the studies show, um, close to 80% of horses will have an EIPH episode of at least one to three. And one can only make conclusions that when you have blood in your trachea and in your lungs, you're not going to perform at your best. Now, it is very true that a, you know, there, there's, we mostly classify EIPH episodes in four grades. One is the least, four is the most severe, but in actuality, there is a fifth grade, and that fifth grade is the horse actually suffers from an equine sudden death syndrome, and they will die from the episode. We haven't seen that. Modern-day guys at the racetrack, even, even myself as a kid at Louisiana Downs, you know, when, when Lasix was really just kind of coming on, so to speak, and wasn't as, even as regulated as it is now, you know, you would see these episodes. But what also happened, John, and I think that, that, you know, we need to educate the public, you know, what is welfare? Because if you take away this medication on race day, what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have uh, increased drawing of horses. So what is drawing? It's pulling the water away 24 to 36 hours out. It's muzzling horses 24 hours out. All of these things, in my opinion, as a horseman who works with them, that is what I would consider not in the interest of the best interest of the horse. No, and, and so again, for, for our listeners, Eric, explain. You know what we're talking about. Lasix is it. It it kind of helps fluids run through the body. Correctly. Correct. I mean, by by definition, Lasix is a diuretic, and it's used for. Blood pressure. I, for one, as I said in front of Congress, <laughs> I take Lasix every day for high blood pressure. Okay, um, and what it does, it allows because if you, and I'm not a veterinarian, but when you get into the physiology of the amount of blood that is pushed through the heart and lungs of a horse, that is very, very rapid, up to ten gallons per minute, I believe. But the membranes of the lungs are very thin, and there will be this bursting. But when you allow for this, or this medication allows for the, um, well, at least the ability to handle that pressure, and therefore either, again, eliminate or, or drastically cut the severity of an EIPH episode. So it, it, it will help stop or at least lessen the severity of those bursting of capillaries. And again, it is a physiological thing. It happens in humans. Um, I have a yes. good friend that, 
it happened, you know, he was a runner for the Canadian Olympic team and he uh-huh. suffered from EIPH. So it, it's not uncommon. It happens with draft horses. Um, you know, the really heavy hitched horses when they're working um, at capacity, it, it does happen. Um, but again, why would you want to go against the veterinary leadership and research when you look at the statements from the American uh, College of Veterinary Medicine, you look at um, the AAEP, when you have those institutions telling us that they're not coming off the stance that administering Lasix four hours prior to a race is the best is in the best interest of the horse, then why would anybody take an opportunity to take that away? It just doesn't make sense. And if you're not a horseman, and you're not dealing with it on a day-to-day basis, I don't think you really understand it. And that's what frustrates me is when you have a group that wants to institute a policy without talking to the horsemen, without including veterinary leadership, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And, and, it, and it, it does anger me. I'm not going to be coy about it. I mean, it just frustrates me. If you look at if you look at Tom Amos's filly, and you mentioned it coming in before I, before I got on, she had a bleeding episode. She was on Lasix. So, again, imagine if she wasn't on Lasix. You could have had a significant issue. So, again, you know, it, it, no one has ever said that Lasix is a cure-all. Um, but if you increase the instances of equine sudden death syndrome by by taking this medication away, even by one horse, that's too many. You know, the clamoring in Santa Anita where we had these tragedies, you know, in a very short period of time, you're going to now take away a medication that could inevitably increase your fatality rate on the racetrack. So (laughs) how on... God's green earth, does that make sense? And that's, that's what we're just trying to get out to the public is, guys, the veterinary leadership is telling us to do this. The veterinary leadership is telling us this is the best thing for the horse. And while the horsemen continue to be labeled as obstructionist, I will defend it because that is what our veterinary leadership is telling us to do. And, and if you deal with and you take care of horses on a day-to-day basis and there you they are your livelihood why would you not want to do what's in the best interest of the horse not because they don't do it in the uk or they don't do it in south africa well it's a lot different and john you could talk probably hours about the difference whether turf racing whether it's it's how they're stabled you know the the differences in running style it's it's not comparing apples to apples. And so in our world, I think that, and you, you touched a little bit on the economics of it. Um, you know, let's say you're a trainer that has six, ten horses, right? And you have two of them that go down because of an EIPH episode. And one could be done because it's developed a lung infection and never runs again. You know, that's taking away from your livelihood. Certainly the guys with 300 head of horses may not have any effect if this goes away to them. But ultimately you're creating more 
horses that are going to need homes outside the racetrack, something that we're already dealing with now and we're not doing a good enough job with it. But again, just thinking of it in the equine health and welfare aspect, I think it's important to understand that this medication is not a drug. It's not a doping uh, um, medic drug, and it's not a performance-enhancing drug. The other thing that I'll kind of end on, you know, you continually hear, and I, I've heard this even on Channel 18 here in Lexington, this, this misnomer about it masking other drugs. In humans, that has been seen as the case. But the reason, John, and, and, all, and everyone listening, the reason that it's given at four hours out is there was a study done at the University of Kentucky at the Gluck Equine Center, one of the world-renowned research uh, uh, facilities uh, known in, in the equine world. That study was done, and because it's given at four hours out, that reason is based on the fact that there is no further dilution within the blood to mask anything. So again, Great. the sensitivity of our testing, it, you know, there's nothing that's going to slide by. You know, in reality, um, and I was, I've even talked to Dr. Benson with the RMTC about this and Dr. Tobin with the Gluck Center, the truth is for EIPH, you would, you would rather give it two hours out. And when I was a kid on the racetrack in Louisiana Downs, that's when we gave it at two hours out. But now, because of the research to make sure there's no masking and it's a regulated medication, four hours out, administered by a third party, we're doing what's best for the horse. Well, Eric, listen, you are a wealth of information, but my producer's chirping in my ears saying, you better pay some bills, buddy. We got a commercial to run. Listen, Eric, I, just <laughs> put, put this on your Understood. list of things to do because this is not going away. And I want to see what's going to no, happen when people finally, you know, sit back and, and listen to people like you and listen to the veterinarians and say, well, maybe we pulled the trigger a little too fast. It'll be interesting to see also when there's only six horses in their starting gate per race uh, because the other ones need to race on Lasix. So, Eric Hamill... And we didn't even get a chance to touch on the, the, the legalities of it all. Many of the states, it, it will be illegal to do that from, from a regulatory standpoint. But that's, a, that's another 30-minute discussion, John. But thank nope. you so much for having us on. Uh, we appreciate any chance we can to, to get a positive message out there. Well, you'll be back because this isn't going away. Eric Hamelback, really appreciate you coming on Winning Ponies. I'm John Engelhart, going to take a quick break. We come back, we're talking with Dick Downey, the creator of the Downey Profile. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com The home of the easy win form The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses At most American and Canadian tracks Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races Don't worry, let WinningPonies.com make some money for you 
pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right. Well, as you know, uh, Christmas comes in December, St. Patrick's Day comes in March, and Dick Downey comes, well, I guess in April, but he always comes a week before the Kentucky Derby, joining us here on Winning Ponies. Uh, you know, I already read his resume at the uh, at the top of the show, so you know that he is a uh, uh, quite the individual with, with an extended background, but the fact that he zones in on uh, this week and then perhaps the Preakness and Belmont beyond uh, is just a real, uh, I got to say, labor of love. And after that, I guess he gets to go back to uh, doing lawyer stuff. I'm not sure. Dick Downey, (laughs) welcome back to Winning Ponies. Thanks for having me, John. It's good to be back. All right. Well, it's good to see you at Keeneland a week ago, and I'm so glad you were able to join us again. You know, when I go to the Downey profile, I am just flabbergasted at the information that that you put out there on the, the Downey profile. And you know, you. so previous to the show, I go up and all of a sudden, all these things are updated. Uh, workouts, uh, weather reports, uh, and then you also reach out to uh, other news outlets and bring in, you know, I mean, you can't do it all. You know, you bring in all the all the, the daily updates. So, you know, right now I'm looking at the Thursday's daily updated, and then you've got uh, updated uh, derby PPs and points with orders from the Bristnet. Uh, you know, uh, you've also got a link to watching the live workouts when they have that, that period between 7.30 and 7.45. I mean, it is sensational. Um, when do you when do you start putting this together? Uh, I start in uh, early January this year. I, I keep notes over the winter, you know, before that, but um, I start really writing up these profiles of the different horses in, in January and the three lists on there, looking good, worth watching, and just in case. That's that's kind of the bedrock of the site. That's and that that's where I start. And when I opened the site, I think it was open it it's seasonal and I opened it February ninth this year, I think. I had hundred and sixty four horses written up on there. Wow. <laughs> I went all out this year. <laughs> 
and, and of course, we, we follow them along, and, and uh, in the end, we narrow it down to, to 20 horses and maybe two, three, or four also eligible, and, and we're, we're getting close now. Yes, yes, we really are, but I mean, um, it, it, it is just, it's sensational. I mean, I'm looking right now at works that took place this morning at Belmont Park, you know, something that doesn't, you know, always hit you right away. Uh, you, you know, you've got, uh, you know, High Cal, uh, 101.21 at Belmont. Yeah, Tax is going to be there. Uh, Bourbon War. I'm just kind of cruising down here. And, you know, I mean, you, you also put other horses of interest for sure that are having good ones. But, I mean, you are so on top of this. When do you sleep? Well, I sleep well at night usually. Uh, I, I put too, I probably devote too many hours to this thing, but uh, um, you know, I'm retired from I'm mostly retired from from the law. I still do some things connected to that, but uh, I have time for this. And and you only live once. And I told my wife when I got started this January, I started getting my research done and writing about these horses, and I told her it was like having an old friend back. And that's, that's kind of <laughs> the way I feel about it. Now, now Dick, I, I know that y- your primary focus is, is on the Kentucky Derby. And, and again, I want to remind people they can go to www.thedowneyprofile.com. That's your that's your entrance in, into a lot of the information that uh, Dick's brought together. But uh, do you also follow through the whole Triple Crown Trail? Yes, I, I stay online through the Belmont Stakes, and man, it's really a lot of fun when it looks like you might have a triple crown winner. <laughs> That's really a lot of fun. Well, well, you had a lot of fun last year, but you're not having a whole lot of fun this year, as far as unless somebody wins by ten lengths. I mean, don't you think this is one of the deepest Derby fields we've seen in over a decade? Well, there is more parity here than than we've seen in a long time. That is for sure. A lot of parity. And I, I really, it's hard to visualize a triple crown winner coming out of this crop. It really is. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I, I lost you there at the beginning. What was your first statement? There is more parity in this field than I can remember. There's just, they're, they're, it's hard to separate these horses. We've had uh, 26 Derby points races this year. And 14 of them have been decided by one length or less. It's just hard to separate them. Six of, uh, well, the remaining 12 races, six of those have become kind of inconsequential. And that leaves another six races where the margin of victory was more than a length out of 26. So it's, it's a close match. It really is. Now, all the years, how many years you've been doing this first? Let me ask that. This is my 17th derby. I can't believe it myself, but it is. Um, what, what trends have you seen? Because the one trend that jumps off the paper to me, I mean, I, I pulled down the, the PPs of the horses that uh, most likely will be going uh, in the gate. Of course, it's limited to 20. There's a couple on the outside uh, looking in because, as you know, anything can happen uh, before uh, the draw on, I believe it will be Tuesday the 30th. Um, have you noticed the fact that these horses are racing less before they get to the Derby? Yes, uh, the more lightly raced horses uh, performing well in the Derby is a definite trend. No question about it. 
It used to be, uh, when I started the profile, there was a, I've, <clears throat> these factors I use to evaluate these horses are, are weighted based on a 300-hour study I did. It took me about 300 hours to, to, to complete this study. But it used to be, when I got started, you wanted a horse that had started at least three or four, well, that had started either three or four times as a three-year-old before the Derby. But now the trend, the last dozen or so years, is definitely tilted in favor of horses that only start twice as a three-year-old before the Derby. And they are much more likely to win based on the last the results of the last, say, 12, 14 years. Um, another, another, something else has changed dramatically is, is just the complete destruction, almost destruction of dosage as a factor in evaluating these horses. You know, right, that, right. Uh, dose, the horse had to have a dosage index of 4.0 or less to win, and that, that went on for a long time. But three out of the last four winners have had doses in indices exceeding four. The Nyquist was a seven. So that factor, and this is borne out in my statistical study, it's, it's whether a horse is above or below 4.0 uh, dosage index is irrelevant now. Based I remember it was uh, nineteen seventy three. Yeah, D- Doctor Stephen Roman and perhaps Dr. Leon Espuson teamed up for that. Maybe it was Roman was the main guy. And I remember, you know, oh, I'm going to go back fifteen years. We were all thought we were the wise guys because we we knew about the dosage index. And you're right. And what's yeah. funny is I started noticing after a horse would win that didn't fit their category that all of a sudden for some reason they change the dosage index on that sire line. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, the, the near shaft of race would be named, and, and uh, that would revise the dosage index for that winner. Yeah, that did happen. Uh, strike, strike the Gold was a prominent example of that, if I remember correctly. Right. And for our listeners, what that meant was when you came up with this number, it was determined by the history of your pedigree and whether or not you were a sprinter or a router. Uh, you know what we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing now is you know new, new horses and new sire lines are emerging, and there's no real predictability of what their number actually is. Would you say I'm right on that? Yes, yes. You know the horse Maximus Mischief. You remember that horse? He was uh, he ran in the Fountain of Youth, and I think he finished third as the favorite. His dosage index was infinite. And you, that is re- very rare, but uh, it didn't surprise me that he had trouble going two turns. I mean, still, there's still something to it. It's just not important in the Derby anymore, uh, based on the statistical study. But his his dosage index was actually is actually infinite. And and I th- and I think part of that too, Dick, is the fact that uh, referring back to what we were just discussing, um, is the fact that they are running less. So we don't really know where they're, how far their potential can take them. A maximum security, the horse you just uh, spoke about, uh, is a son of New Year's Day, but he's a son of street no, no, cry. No, 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 no. I'm talking about maximum, uh, maximus mischief. Oh, he ran okay. Into the Fountain of Youth, and then he dropped off the Derby Trail before the Florida Derby, and they recently retired him. But still, maximum security makes a good point of what you're stating. He had not run beyond seven furlongs until he went wire to wire and he had not run in a stakes race 
until he yeah. went wire to wire in the Florida Derby and made his debut in a a, a maiden sixteen thousand dollar race. So again, yeah. you know, this is a horse we don't know what his ceiling is, but all we know is he's never been defeated. And if you believe in the buyer figures, this is a horse that just keeps getting better and better and was uh, not used up in the Florida Derby. Uh, you know, I, right. I, I spoke. Uh, go ahead. No, I, I agree. He wasn't. He wasn't used up. And, and so, um, you know, when we go to, I, I know that there's, two levels of the Downey profile. Uh, if we decide to go go to the next level, um, how much more information can you possibly provide? Because what you already put out on the Downey profile is pretty friggin' awesome. Well, you'd be surprised. But uh, I've, every year, every class that comes into the Derby, uh, I apply my weighted factors to, to each horse and, and see and determine which one has the greater probability, the greatest probability of winning based on these factors. And it's, 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 I've back tested it and it, it works. Well, I, I know that you do state your history out there, which a lot of guys don't, you know, they're kind of like throw stuff up on the wall and then run away. You figure, well, nobody will remember what I picked last year or <laughs> five years ago, but uh, you know, you, you're, you're kind of ballsy as far as the fact that you put the, you know, your picks up there and uh, that takes a lot to do for a public handicapper. Well, that, um, I guess the modern word for that is transparency. I just call it just simple forthrightness. And I have been fortunate to pick the winner the last five years. I, granted, they've all been favorites, but, you have to pick them uh, to cash in them, cash on them, and I have picked them on top. So this year, boy, this year's tougher. I mean, when you when you have a favorite, when you have a field where the favorite's going to be five or six to one, it's it's a little tougher, and and there's there's no real standout. How many how many times did you ever think you would see a Kentucky Derby where Bob Baffert had three starters and maybe none of them are going to be the favorite? No, no, that will never happen. That you got to be crazy, and we're crazy enough to believe that is going to happen this year. Is most probably Omaha Beach will be tagged as the favorite, and quite frankly, I don't see why not. You know, uh, there's uh, there's two horses that are sons of Warfront that uh, you know, of course, oh, we've got to be a monster on the turf, right? Well, in very cigar-like fashion, as soon as they took these horses off the turf and put them on dirt. Uh, you know, they, they turned into a whole nother horse. And uh, I believe I'm, I'm, I know I'm talking about Omaha Beach, but I believe that um, War, of War, Will, War of Will, another son mm-hmm. of Warfront, uh, will go there. Now, l- let me ask you a, a question. I only got two minutes left. My producer's telling me is like, I loved War of Will. I've been watching him, and he just looked like he was developing, he was growing. And th- did you, I know you saw his race in the Louisiana Derby. I, I almost thought, they were going to pull him up after the start. He looked so terrible coming out of the gate. But uh, since then, they've actually you know given him solid works. I think he's okay. But didn't you see like his rear end fall out from him in the uh, Louisiana Derby? Yes, his, his rear feet kind of went out from under him, and he got stretched out a little bit there, a couple of strides out of the gate. I I think that the well, I know that this that the Louisiana Derby was the first time that, that Warville had to sit behind dirt and eat dirt. And 
I think that that had something to do with his performance that day. I, I went back and looked at all his dirt replays, and he was he had never taken dirt before. With his poor break from the gate that on the Louisiana Derby, he found himself behind him between horses like he had never experienced before, and I think it it was difficult for him. So he's he's post positioned in the Kentucky Derby. I think he needs to be a little bit outside. Yes. Uh, so he can try to get in the clear. He needs that horse needs to be in the clear. I think he's a really good horse. Yeah, I, I think he's one uh, of many that you're going to get great odds on. That's a legitimate contender. Yeah, if he can get clear and get, you know, the winning trips the last few years, the winner has has not been far back uh, in the last five years at the after the first half mile, and they've been in the clear. And if he can get that kind of trip, maybe he's got a shot. Well, uh, my my producer's telling me I got to get out of here, so I'm going to have to. Dick, great seeing you last week in the press box, and I hope we cross paths at Churchill Downs on the first Saturday of May. Well, John, I'm in Louisville now, and I'll be here for the duration, so I'm looking forward to seeing you here. All right, take care. That was Dick Downey. Earlier in the show, we had Eric Hamill back from the HBPA. Appreciate you listening. Tell your friends they missed a great show, but they can still get it on podcast by going to winningponies.com. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. And remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.